I'm Jim Salverson and welcome to VoiceWorks Sound Business, a podcast all about sound, audio, radio and the people who make it. On this episode of the podcast, it's one of our occasional series, Five Things I Learned From Audio, where I sit down with experts from the industry to find out a little bit about what they've learned from their time in the business. Today, I'm talking to Dave Masterman, head of content at the Manchester production company Audio Always, and a chap with a long history through audio, radio, and podcasting with spells at Absolute Radio, Radio X, and XFM, where he's worked with the likes of Dave Berry, Chris Moyles, Ellison John, Danny Wallace, John Holmes, the list goes on. And it was XFM where I first met Dave in Manchester, where, as you'll hear, We were both doing the graveyard shift. There's some good learns from Dave as he shares the five things that he has learned from audio. Welcome to VoiceWorks Sound Business, Dave Masterman. How are you doing, Dave? Hey, Jim. How's it going? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Whereabouts are you and how are you? I'm in Stockport, which is, I've seen, called the New Berlin these days. (laughs) So I'll take that, although I'm not quite sure it's there yet. But very happy to be talking to you. We're going to go through your five things that you've learned from your career in audio and radio and podcasting. And it's a career and a CV that's had a fair few successes on there, I think. There's been some brilliant broadcasters you've worked with, some amazing projects you've worked on as well. And I think you're one of those rare people in the industry as well who seems to have built a career where you've always been in demand. You've never had kind of those fallow periods. You've avoided the axon on many occasions as well. Do you think the the five lessons that you're going to highlight today, do you think they're things that have contributed to that ability to, well, dodge the bullet and stay in the industry for so long? I love that you describe it as dodging the axe, as if maybe I should have, maybe I should have been caught by the axe by now. <laughs> and you might be right. Yet, yeah, funnily enough, and the first one that we'll cover, I think comes from that reflection a little bit of just navigating yourself through what can be quite a tricky terrain can't it the audio Mm -hmm. industry and I think especially now it's more ever changing than ever so I am quite proud of how I've navigated that and the and the work that I've done I've always done that I've really enjoyed doing which again I think is not necessarily a rarity because I think the industry as a whole is a fun one to be in but what I've tended to do is shape the work around me which means I I tend to get that satisfaction from it which I'm happy about because Mm. you know the the radio audio it can take you in all sorts of directions and I think I've made fairly decent calls so far as to to where I've gone next and at what points I've decided to move on that's a great shout actually it's not always about finding the right path and being in the right place and being on the right side of a takeover or whatever it is. A lot of the people that I know that have drifted away from the industry, it's been primarily because they've fallen out of love with it or they've been disenfranchised with it. But as you say, kind of picking the right project, staying on the right path is really important for that longevity as well. Okay, so you've you've segued nicely into your five things that you've learned. Thank you. What is lesson number one? Lesson number one comes from my time, I suppose, from Global when I was working at XFM with your good self. Mm-hmm. In fact, before we start any of this, we should say, so we were on overnights on XFM Manchester together, weren't we? Way yeah. back when. And I was always the show after years ago, you, I maybe? think. Don't do it, Jim. <laughs> Don't do it. It's terrifying. And 
I remember. I think I was on like the three till seven graveyard shift, and you were the you were the lucky one that had the prime time midnight till three <laughs> oh, shift yeah. on, a, on a Saturday night. <laughs> so that's how we met. But I was always very, I was almost a bit intimidated by you because you were a very good presenter, and I will hold my hands up and say I was not a good presenter. And then I fell into the producing world fairly quickly off the back of that. But I, yeah, I always felt in a, in those early XFM days, I was like, oh god, I've got to go and after Jim now. Jim's great. Jim Jim scripts his links. He knows what. <laughs> talking about and there's me just absolutely trying to blag it thinking I was like the next Zane Lowe which um, unfortunately I wasn't but uh, yeah so back to my first point I think I spent a lot of years at XFM that then became well I then moved to XFM London and that became Radio X and I should say there's no reason why I wouldn't have left a positive trail or why I would have burnt my bridges but my first uh, lesson that I have learned is to leave a positive trail wherever you go mm. if you can because I think especially when you're maybe working at a company that might you might have a month left or three months left there can be those moments where I feel a bit more fractious or a bit more stressful you know I was pulled out of a couple of meetings that uh, you know strategy meetings that I shouldn't be on knowing that I was about to leave to go to Absolute Radio. And that's completely fair enough. If I was the boss of Radio X now, I would do the same to someone that was doing that. But I still felt a little bit put out at times in that last couple of months at that station. But I remember thinking, I've had an amazing time here. I've had so much fun on every single show I've worked on. And it's given me a really solid foundation as to where, where I was at at the time. I think it was 20... 17 when I left in the end but I really tried hard to make sure that I said the right goodbyes to people I said them in the right manner and you know I've kept in touch and I think and that that then passed on from I went to Absolute Radio after that and then I've gone to Audio Always as an independent production company I think it's just really important to keep those conversations positive and make sure you do say those if you are moving from one company to the next or from one station to another you just never know mm. when those people are going to come back around. And funnily enough, I still talk to people at Global now. They're, they're, I have no doubt that there will still be opportunities to do some work with Global in the current guys that I'm in now. And Absolute as well, Paul Sylvester, who runs Absolute, I'm still really good friends with. And again, work's come of that as well. So we've done documentaries and we've done specials for Absolute Radio. And I think that's come from those relationships that I've forged and made sure that as and when you do take that next step, you are leaving that positive trail and that you do make sure you shake the hands of the bosses around you no matter what level they're at and you make sure that everyone realizes that you've had a great time and actually you've learned a lot because yeah it is it's quite easy just to forget where you came from and you just move on to that next journey and that that next adventure in your life but Mm. make no mistake about it you'll be chatting to those people again at some point so do make sure that those positive trails are left a lot of it comes down to, I think, just being a decent human being and being a nice person and that kind of stuff should be natural, leaving a positive trail and being positive and friendly with the colleagues you leave behind. But in an industry that is sometimes quite brutal, that maybe isn't always the easiest thing to do. Does that extend to the idea of people who potentially when they're running out the end of a contract, when they're leaving a job behind, if a presenter, for example, is lucky enough to have two months after they know they're leaving to finish off their contract, to finish off their shows, which isn't always the case. Now, I think that can be an opportunity where some people switch off. And that's the time they go, oh, well, I I can't be bothered anymore because no one can be bothered with what I'm doing. But actually, that's the time where you up your effort, isn't it? Because that's the time where you want the ears of potential next employers to be on you. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think you've probably just summed up what my point was in a lot in a, in a better way than I did for the last five <laughs> minutes. Actually, James, earlier, so thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> I should have scripted some. It's gone, but we're going back twenty-three years, Jim. Damn it! I should have scripted. I should have scripted. Well, yeah, but that's exactly it. Like, I, yeah, I, I had to see out some of my contract at Radio X, and it was exactly mm. that mindset that I got myself into. I was like, no, this is now the point where I. I show my, you know, and it was my choice, by the way, I should say, like I decided to go to Absolute because there was a, a, a more senior job over there. Oh. So it was just that natural career progression. It made perfect sense. And I think everyone around me kind of saw that and spotted that it was the right move for me because there wasn't going to be that progression at that time at X. So it was exactly that. There was a month or two where I thought, no, do you know what? This is the point where I do try my hardest and I show a bit of grace if I'm not in every meeting because, you know, it's rightful that there might be strategy that I shouldn't be a part of given that I was going to a rival pretty much or a competitor. And I think that there could be that temptation just to almost stop trying or not commit as much as you might have done to the previous 10 years. And I suppose that does relate to presenters as well, probably even more so. But like you say, I suppose it's similar to how it would be as a producer. It is how you are as a presenter, because I imagine, and we'll name no names, but I'm sure there's presenters who... Would would be ripped off the airwaves the minute that they that any bosses knew that they knew that they weren't going to be hanging yeah. around a radio station, and then there's probably some very and well I know some very successful presenters that would be trusted with that because again they have that decency to go you know what no I've got a month and a half left I've got two months here I want to say my proper goodbyes to my listeners, and I want to do that in as classy a fashion as I can. And I, I'm sure, yeah, there are there are many there are many presenters that do that brilliantly. And actually, you're kind of cutting your nose off to spite your face if you don't go for that option anyway, because you want to say your proper goodbye. You want to leave that legacy yeah. as a presenter and as the show that you've presented on. You want to make sure that it's remembered in the right way, because all of a sudden you might get a brief sense of satisfaction to be screwing over the man or whatever you whatever you think you're doing if you're not doing that. But that's soon forgotten. And then what is left is a show that kind of maybe petered out or didn't finish in the way that in hindsight six months a year ten years later you probably look back on and go no I could have I could have maybe handled that a bit better to make sure that I'd left the legacy that I wanted to leave okay well that's a solid first lesson a good start a good life lesson so let's move on to lesson number two from your career what are you going for celebrate the wins now I feel it's such a fast-paced industry And almost there is this thought that you just need to keep cracking on. Mm. And whenever something happens that could be good or or maybe not so good, but in this occasion, if you do something really commendable or something that's made you proud or it's just a real solid piece of work, and that could be a that could be a three month project. That could be a week long story arc on a on a breakfast show that you're doing that you know just absolutely hit the right attention that you wanted to hit. It could be an award, and I'll come on to an example of mine soon, which which was an award. There is definitely a sense that you just need to go again, <laughs> and that's great. And if you have got that mentality, it means you're going to go far because I think there is a, there's probably a sense for a lot of people in this industry that you're never quite 100% satisfied with what you create, which is probably what then drives you to go again and to mm. to figure out what that next idea is or that creative flourishes or what that next big idea is or who's that next presenter that you're going to go and chat to about a podcast or whatever it might be. It's so easy just to not take that step back and go, okay, no, so the last two weeks I've actually done really good work and I should appreciate that myself. And also as a senior 
team member now, I need to make sure that I'm celebrating those people as well to make sure that I'm flagging it to those people around me and to the producers and to the execs at Audio Always. Because again, they might sometimes just want to crack on with the next thing, but it's important for, for me as head of content to go, no, no, this is now actually a really nice moment to to celebrate that something's happened to, to, a, to a team member because... It is, though, we work in a fun, creative industry, but it's bloody hard work. And it's very easy just to get bogged down in that churn of what needs to come next. So, yeah, I'd say make sure that you do just take that, make make sure you take that moment that if something's gone well or something that you know has led towards a really positive moment in whatever stage of the career that you're in or whatever whatever line of work you're in within audio, that you've got to be fair to yourself and you've got to, you've got to make sure that you are giving yourself that kudos. And I think one example for me was I was very fortunate to be nominated for 30 under 30 a long time ago, Jim. But um, the reason, well, A, the the reason I got it is that Danny Wallace wrote the write-up. So when Danny (laughs) Wallace is authoring the write-up to a 30 under 30 nomination for the Radio Academy, you you stand a good chance because he writes quite well, Danny. I don't know if you know, he's a fairly successful, decent author. So, yeah, so I was already off to a winning start. But I remember, well, I look back now and I remember thinking... It came and it went and I went down to the ceremony, but I was just so hellbent on making sure that next week's work for for the show with Danny again was good. And that, you know, you're up at 4 a.m. in the morning and, you know, breakfast hours, Jim, as well, because you were doing what I was doing at XFM Manchester yeah. as I was doing it in XFM London. It's so easy when you're on that treadmill just to move on and figure out what that next thing is that you want to be doing. But I do I do look back now and I think I don't think I actually really appreciated how big a deal that was for me. I think I was 25 at the time. It was the first thing that I'd ever really been recognised for in the industry. But I just kind of went again and I, I do kind of wish maybe I'd taken a bit more time to appreciate what that meant and how important that was. And I think now looking back and, I nom- and I'm writing up many nominations for, for people at Audio Always for this exact award, you know, the 30 and the 30 still going. And I think now when I'm a little bit further past that and I'm looking to help younger producers recognise that accolade, I now realise how important that is and how great it is in the industry as well to be recognised for a young hungry producer that's creative and coming up with that amazing content that's going to get you into that uh, quite exclusive club every year because there's plenty more than 30 producers every year that can be going for that award. I now appreciate how important that it is and I try and make sure that those producers that are lucky enough to be nominated, you know, get that celebration for themselves because it's uh, it's important to give yourself those those slaps on the back. It's interesting you mention this. I had this exact conversation with a colleague this week about the relentlessness of, and this was specifically about radio and that kind of treadmill feel of being creating daily content and daily shows and the inability to kind of take that step back that you would if maybe you were a carpenter or something and you created a fine chest of drawers. At some point that is finished. (laughs) And you look at it and go, that's brilliant. You don't really get that feeling with radio for obvious reasons. And I've only just begun to realise that myself, that that moment of reflection and it can just be that stop and pause and reflect is actually really valuable in working on these projects on the wider point of awards and you've had a few i think i'm surprised that you've not been allowed to take the british podcast award for best comedy show home because you've won it so many times with ellis and john but that's just one of the awards that you've been (laughs) nominated for and won previously but what kind of stock do you put in that those awards because i think we'd all agree that the the process of entering and winning awards 
is largely quite flawed in general. It's a few people's yeah. opinion, and there are there are every award that's judged in a myriad of ways has its own benefits and its own its own faults. And because of that, I think a lot of people kind of disregard them a little bit and go, "Oh well, I'm not going to put the time and effort into this because I haven't got much chance of winning it." What kind of stock do you put in that? Partly as a moment to kind of recognise those wins. Yeah, that's a very good question, and I think it's changed over the years. I think. When I was younger, I didn't, as just talked about with the 30 under 30, I wasn't as bothered. I think as you grow through the the industry, well, I'll go back to your initial point. I actually really enjoyed the process of putting a decent award entry together. I think if you know you've got a good, and I I, I get what you're saying, the actual process of how it's then judged is a bit flawed. I mean, I've been on judges panels where... in any way, not to like do down the, the winning of awards. And it's an amazing achievement. It's just, you, you step back and look at the it's process. It's subjective. Yeah, ex- yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. It's subjective and it's, it's often subjective with six people on a Zoom. And I think that's, I, I, don't, know, I don't know how you get around that. It's, st- it's still a pretty democratic process. And I feel like you usually get towards what the right answer should be. But there's been some points where the final six have been shortlisted and I've marked one really high and it's not even made it into the final six. And you're mm. thinking, how have, I, how have I either got this so wrong <laughs> that I thought that was absolutely fantastic or I'm absolutely spot on and everyone else is wrong I, I imagine it's probably usually the former but um the process i know especially with ellison john's a good example because they just how they present a radio show means they always are they're always going to stand a fairly strong chance because they're just quite different in how honest they are and how they'll pull that fourth wall down of live radio and how they're kind of doing a podcast slash radio show and how they can go really candid really serious and then gear shift it straight back mm. to comedy within 30 seconds. So they've got these traits that I'd say are quite award-friendly. But there's so much good stuff out there that you might not class as being award-friendly, but it's still absolutely fantastic. And I think that's where there is a bit of a disparity in that not every show is going to win an award every year, but actually don't you can't get yourself, you can't get hung up on not winning or not even being nominated for awards because we do amazing shows at Audio Always. And some years we'll get to that point of deciding what we want to go for the following year. And we'll look at some and we'll go that's a fantastic show it does exactly what it needs to do will it come together as a 15 minute award entry for what we know the judges want possibly not but actually that doesn't mean it's a bad radio show or a bad piece of audio it just means there is a weird criteria for what we know will work in an award setting that doesn't mean that everything you're not entering isn't any good it just means we kind of know what the judges are looking for in that moment in time and i'd say I enjoy the process when I know that there's some good audio to be brought together. I quite like it. I quite like the honing of it and the write-ups. I know every not everyone does because it's a slog. Like if you know, I imagine, and I'm I'm second guessing here, but I imagine like the is it the television awards? What would be what would be the main television award one? Is that what it's called? Yeah, like the the ones where you just imagine they're well, in there because everyone knows what it is. I don't. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think Ant and Decker sat there going, right, what's the best, what's the best five minutes worth of uh, visual, you know, yeah, TV yeah. that we've done, and let's do that five hundred word write up and having to dredge through a year's worth of content. I imagine, I imagine they just nominated and they just win. Mm, but as yeah. we know, that's not how it really works in the audio industry. And there's a lot of time and a lot of effort goes into finding those clips, picking them, putting them in order doing a write-up that works around it. Um, but then when it comes to the actual nominations and the awards, I I think it's great to be in the room for those sorts of things. I love it when I see audio always next to certain nominations. I'm being genuine when I say the nominations for me are the or, almost the most important bits. Like if you can see seven or eight audio always 
productions across an Arias entry or a British Podcast Awards slate of entries, for me, that's the win. And obviously, if you're in the room and you win on the night, fantastic. But actually, reputationally, for Audio Always to see ourselves amongst some real big hitters, that's almost the most satisfying part for me. And then, yeah, anything above that's a bonus. Let's move on to lesson number three, Dave. I think this is my favourite because it's something that I've learned over the years, which is you don't always have to be the loudest in the room to succeed. Yeah, I love this one. I remember remember when I first thought about getting into the media, I must have been 16, 17. I remember thinking, I'm just going to have to be this overly confident, cocky, very self-assured young man to make it anywhere in this game. And I don't know why I thought that. I think it's just because you watch so much TV and you watch and you listen to radio. And I mean, I was listening to, you know, JK and Joel from Key 103, you know, two very loud, very confident presenters. And I, I suppose I thought, right, well, that's what I've got to be. And for the first few years of of getting into radio, I remember I was quite shy and I thought this this might actually scupper my chances of doing well within the industry because I wasn't the loudest in the room and I wasn't always the best at just coming with a creative idea at the drop of a hat on a on a creative session with 15 other people on the call or in the, you know, in in an area of an office together. I hated all that and I'm still not great at it. But then I think And it took me a long time to figure this out, but actually you don't have to be the loudest in the room. And actually, Jim, like meeting people like yourself and there was other people at X, like our old boss, Matt Wyatt, who ran XFM Manchester back in the day and when I joined in 2006, I think that's when I started, the, the penny started to drop. I was like, hold on, I'm surrounded by brilliant people here, but it's not me, me, me. They're not trying to garner the attention of everyone in the room they're getting on with what they they're getting on with what they need to do they're doing it in a really smart way they're creative mm-hmm. they're getting they're doing what needs to be done and actually they're going above and beyond but meeting people like yourself and and like I say Matt White as well and there was plenty more of those examples I, I, it, I suddenly realized oh wow yeah it's not it's not live and kicking you know where I, you know there's you're at, you're in the production offices of a radio station and actually a lot of the time it's a lot more nuanced than that and I think I've never kind of done a, a proper um, assessment of it but I imagine I'm more introvert than extrovert but I have to almost sometimes force myself to be that extrovert sure. which I think we all have to do at points don't we but yeah I think that when the penny dropped with that and it wasn't it wasn't necessarily when I first started out when it when I was around you and Matt but over the years you do it just it chips away at you that you start to realize as as you have more successes and have, and as you have that next promotion or you work on that next breakfast show that kind of just takes you up that what that one more notch I realized that now I can be just I can be me and I've not got to I've not got to be shouting and k- mm. kicking and screaming to get everyone's attention I think you you become respected for the creative decisions that you make and the work that you do which was actually a very comforting thing when I realized that it was it was a bit of a eureka moment to go oh wow this is great I I can just be me and I can actually sometimes be quiet and that's fine <laughs> I should also say you can absolutely be loud and some of the funniest loudest people I know have also gone on to be very successful and are great producers and of course great presenters but I suppose the point I'm trying to make is you don't have to be like that to to make the steps that you might want to make a, uh, throughout a career and I'd say some of the most valuable skills I think I've realized in kind of scenarios where particularly it's meeting scenarios, it isn't talking and pushing forward your ideas, it's sitting back, it's listening and it's asking good questions. And that's kind of where your value comes from and that's where you really learn and and, and add value to a conversation sometimes. Yeah, and 
as you progress as well, you suddenly don't care anymore if the idea that you might have even helped form, or maybe you were the first person to suggest it. You get to a point in your career, or even if it kind of takes on a life of its own and someone else mentions it a month or two later, mm. I don't actually, it's great. Someone else can take the credit. It's fine. If it's developed from something that I might have planted a seed with, that's actually, I, I take quite a lot of satisfaction from that now. But if you asked a 25-year-old me that, I would be seething if an idea <laughs> that I thought had come from, even the seeds of an idea had come from my own head and then someone else was almost getting the plaudits for it. I'd have hated that because you're, I think every, you know, you're competitive and you want to be the best and there's an insecurity to you at that age where you just need to make sure everyone's aware of how good you are. And no, no, that was actually my idea. I actually said that three months. I'll dig out the email. That was actually me three months ago who uh, might have said that initially. And then, well, this and this might just be me, but then I got to a point maybe in my early 30s or late 20s where I was suddenly very happy to, you realise that people aren't hanging on every single creative idea that you had and actually just you being you and hopefully the person that you are and the just the general uh, employee that you are that's taken as who you are. It's not all about the individual creative decisions at that point. Let's move on to your next lesson from audio. What's number four? (laughs) Um, Well, I've titled it, Don't Be Pressured Into Getting a Colonic Live on the Radio. (laughs) It's Um, it's a good lesson, to be fair. (laughs) (laughs) Which, Which, as you and I were chatting and I was bringing these together, it was a joke thing I've learnt because I did get a colonic it wasn't quite live on the radio it was um, on a previous breakfast show I'll be honest I wasn't 100% comfortable in having to do that but at the same time I, I, I am also quite proud of the fact that they wanted to film it and they wanted me to do it live on the radio. And actually, I kind of talked them down from that to it being <laughs> voice <Cop> notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm classy, Jim. Um, and I kind of talked them down from it being live with a, <laughs> with a whole video crew around me to it being zero visualisation. And I recorded a few voice notes. And I was much happier with that being the outcome because it kind of meant that I was in control of the narrative even though the what you know i was I, I wasn't 100% comfortable with it but by that point i was all right with it and it, it made for very funny radio so yeah. it was all good but i think i i joke about the title i think that the the broader point i'm trying to make is that you shouldn't be afraid to say no and actually it's not a yes man industry and you actually gain a lot more respect if there's things that and this is ever this isn't this isn't about colonic irrigations anymore i should i should point <laughs> out this is now about just other other kind of disciplines and practices in audio and maybe it was more from when we were younger jim because i do think things have changed a little bit now and that i do think people are more confident in setting their own boundaries in whether that's working hours or whether that's Mm. ideas that they're comfortable in getting involved with or whether that's just being a bit more forthright in what you want your career to be and how you want your working week to pan out. I feel like people are a lot more, and rightly so, uh, a lot more assured in, in bringing forwards where they feel their boundaries are. But I do, I think I probably went through a lot of my early 20s Dave can you just give another couple of hours just to get that edit across the line yeah of course we'll of course we'll Dave can you come in on Saturday just to just to we just need someone to look after the Russell Brand show in the background yeah of course we'll of course we'll and then before you know it, you're saying yes to everything and then you are that yes man and then people realize they can probably take a bit of advantage and I, I was probably taken advantage of a little bit in my 20s when you just want to impress mm. and you just want to say yes to everything and work your way up that ladder I mean it's, it's a really relevant point and I just think get where you're coming from in terms of knowing your boundaries and important to set those boundaries it's interesting what you say about how you're noticing a change with people now who are more willing to set those boundaries do you think that's a change in the 
individuals or do you think that's a change in the industry because this is an industry where the kind of format was basically you had to do anything you had to do it for free and that was kind of how you got a job in media do you sense that is changing because if it is i think that's a positive thing i know we as, as audio always we're very aware and hopefully quite good at making sure that isn't the case and that with the internships that we run we'll always make sure they're paid internships with hours that we're asking people to do we've got like a re- a very robust resourcing platform that we use to make sure that we're tracking hours and we're we're tracking the responsibilities that the producers are, are put on and the shows they're put on. How much time across a week will that mean you're working on? And actually, if that starts to tip into the red, because we'll see it as red, that's when we need to take that seriously and go, oh, hold on, we are actually asking too much of this person because if we're taking the software seriously that we're using and we do then it's showing that they're currently doing 10 hours a day three days a week and we take that very seriously because we want to get the best out of the people the producers the execs the assistant producers broadcast assistants we want to get the best out of everyone and by overworking people we don't feel we'll always get the best quality product and the the, and the best content from these producers so I suppose I can only really speak on behalf of the company that that I now currently work for. Mm. And it's something that we are, yeah, I think we're quite in tune with. And also I'd like to think that if people are coming to us with those concerns, that we take them seriously and we we look to see what can be done to, to shift a bit of, to shift that resource around or to shift that workload around a bit, because we want people to be happy and we want people to, and also I think, because I do think we're a fairly decent company. I also, I don't think people take the piss. I think they, we've got, a, we've got hard workers and we, we recruit sensibly and we recruit with a lot of detail and a lot of attention to detail that goes into who we bring into audio always. So I'd like to think we end up with a really decent set and a really decent set of teams um, right across the board. That means we, there is that trust there that we know they are, they are working hard and they are working to bring about the the best content they can. So yeah, I think I think it's important to treat your employees well, and I think that then comes back to that point around boundaries. But in terms of the individual, maybe things have changed a little bit, and again, I think that's for the better as well. I think maybe that maybe there is just a shift in society and what and how important those boundaries are, which is a much wider conversation. But mm. if that's seeping into the audio industry, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that actually ties in quite nicely to your final lesson as well. Yes, I nearly called it. Nothing matters, but I thought that was a bit pessimistic. <laughs> I was I was listening to a podcast. Lou Sanders has a Cuddle Club podcast, and I think the the piece of advice that she asked Alex Horn at the end, well, she asks all her guests like, "What's what's the one piece of advice?" And I think his was, "Well, it doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter." And it's quite nice. You can take that two ways. You can take that as no one gives a crap, and actually, it's all worthless, which is probably the ne- the negative way of looking at it. Yeah. But the way I heard that podcast episode, I was like. It's quite nice to think that every now and then, just to take the pressure off yourself. It doesn't really matter. And that's life in general. It doesn't really matter. It's quite nice to sometimes just take that pressure off. I'm looking at the only... We'd, there's, a, there's a common running joke on Alice and John that I've just got printed live, laugh, loves all around my house. <laughs> and that in every room, in every, in every toilet, I've just got these different kind of aspirational <laughs> quotes. I've not got any... And I think that's why they find it so funny to kind of hammer, hammer that home because they, they, they insist I do. But the one that I do have is um, a framed picture in this very room that just says, nobody gives a shit about you, which is what <laughs> Hannah and I used to say to each other in lockdown when things were getting a bit too serious and things were getting stressful at work. And I'd stop her in the kitchen when she was talking about, and she does have a much more stressful job than me. And I go, Hannah, listen, 
nobody gives a shit about you. <laughs> and again, that could come across as very negative and actually quite mean. But if the point I'm trying to make is you, you care more about what you're doing than probably anyone else does and yeah. try not to get too hung up on something that is probably festering in your head 20-fold than it is in anyone else's. And actually, everyone else has got their own problems. Everyone else is, is locked in their own heads. And when you think of things like that, it does. I think it relaxes me a little bit. And coming back to the audio point... The final, the final kind of lesson for this is it's it's only audio, and that's my I suppose that's that's the fifth thing that I've learned is that it's it's all right and it's it's fine if an edit isn't quite how you want the edit to go. And by the way, I've come to this conclusion after you know losing full podcast recordings of really decent stuff, and it's hard to think like that when you're coming off the back of a corrupted file, isn't it? And yeah. and it's very hard at that moment to go, oh, it's only audio. But I think the more that happens, the more that you do realise, well, it, it's all right. And actually, if if an edit isn't quite right for an Ed Sheeran interview, or if a guest's a bit late, which means you didn't quite get that first 10 minutes of content that you wanted to get, I think just remind yourself that on the whole, and I'm going to... These are broad strokes here because sometimes audio can, of course, be very important and it can be life-saving and it, it can be uh, the difference between life and death depending on what type of content you're producing. But on the whole, I would say, and especially the, the stuff that I've done when it's maybe a little bit lighter and it's entertainment or comedy or music radio, I've, I've reminded myself that... I've got a wife who comes home. She's a secondary school teacher. And some of the some of the stresses that she brings home from a pretty grueling nine-hour day at her secondary school kind of does sometimes bring into focus that maybe my day hasn't been quite as stressful as I thought it would be. But it goes right back to that point around, we all just love this industry. We all just want to be in it and do our best. And I think at times that then impacts on the perception of how important some things are. So every now and then just check. I often just check myself and say, okay, this is stressing me out and that's fine. It is important, obviously, because we're in this because we find this important. But sometimes I just I just have to remind myself that no, actually, it's only audio or it's only radio or whatever discipline you're in within the industry. And it's probably going to be all right. So don't beat yourself up too much if if something didn't quite go right on an edit or a live show or a podcast or whatever it is that you might be doing. It is a born out of passion, though, isn't it? And you're right. It's very easy as someone who loves audio and who produces audio to get hung up on the tiniest thing that will be a fraction of something much bigger that no one is ever going to notice. And I remember... A presenter, I won't name the presenter it was because I don't know whether they'd like me telling the story, but they, we, we, I remember sitting in a meeting with the boss and them talking to us and going, look, you need to be asking yourself with every bit of all, everything that goes out, is this good enough? Is this good enough? And in our own private conversation afterwards, we kind of realised when, actually, we need to do it this the other way. It's like that self-talk where you go, it's good enough. <laughs> and it's like when you're obsessing over something, yeah. kind of like going, oh, can I push it a little bit more? Sometimes it's just as important to take that step back and go, it's okay. It's fine. This is, this is good enough. And I think that's really important. Do you find yourself having to do that in either direction? So you're kind of the middle there. Sometimes if you've got a boss above you or maybe a producer below you that wants to push it a bit further, do you have to give that self-talk externally as well? Yeah, definitely. I think um, because, again, I was that producer that when I was in the thick of it a bit more was was agonizing over every edit point and was was making sure every split second of output was absolutely perfect. So, no, absolutely. When I when I chat to my various teams, I think um, 
I'm, I, I hope that what I'm doing is getting across a message that actually it's okay if that's that how you've got to that point with that that's absolutely brilliant and actually no one anything you do above and beyond this a listener's not even going to notice mm. i think that's quite a good barometer if a listener isn't going to notice the difference between the two edits of what you're bringing together or the two pieces of work you're doing that's probably the barometer to go that's that's great it's brilliant because mm. i think we've all got standards of course we have and we all want things to be of a certain level but no i i i hope i do try and get that across to people around me and the producers who are on the shows with me that it's all right and actually you know we I think we've all you know we've all had people that are above us over the years where if they are fraught and they're tense and they're the ones that are demanding too much you can just switch off mm-hmm. and you can just not actually want to be bringing your best work whereas actually if you've got people above you and you've got the senior team members that are the the people who are accountable for a lot of the stuff that you're creating if you if they're relaxed and they're just taking that element of pressure off to go no that's fine that's great I know for, from my personal experience of when I was that younger producer, I performed better because I went, ah, okay, right. So, I, okay, so I'm not, I don't have to be petrified of this person. They're not going to be pulling me up on every single edit that I make that is, isn't quite bang on. And I'll sometimes see work that comes through my way now to sign off on or just to have an opinion on. There'll be bits and bobs that I'll spot that I'll go, well, in my head I'm thinking, well, I, I, I maybe wouldn't have done that like that. But actually, in the grand scheme of things, is that their editorial decision? Is that what they think is best for that piece of work? Nine times out of ten it is. So nine times out of ten I'm not going to be mentioning it because we're all just trying to make our way in an industry that can have so many different creative answers that actually I don't want to be that guy that's going, no, that edit needs to be two seconds shorter. No, that bit needs to go there. No, that colour that, that color treatment's wrong for that, vi- that video. When actually, sometimes you just need to leave you just need to let people grow and actually figure this stuff out. If, as long as it's not going to get you, you know, taken off the radio, then it's, it's usually okay. How hard do you find that? Because I think I get in situations where I'm execing nowadays and I'll be listening through audio and I'll have extensive notes. <laughs> and I sometimes have to look back at those yeah. notes and go, all right, well, I don't need to tell them that that bit of audio needs to be 2 dB higher. I don't need to tell them that, like you say, that that gap could be a little bit longer for impact and that kind of thing. And it's, it's how challenging yeah. do you find it to take that step back and let that stuff go? Yeah, it's not, it's not easy. And I think it's also case by case because, again, I think you get to you get to a point with the with the people that work around you where you know what they'll react well to and what they won't. So there are producers that I could probably nitpick every split second out of it and they're going to go, cool, great, no, that's good, okay, I'll go away. And then they'll, within half an hour, they're back with another edit, which is, mm. which is closer. And there probably are still those moments where I can still do that because I'm comfortable enough with the producer that I'm not going to be absolutely killing their confidence by doing that with them. And then there are people, I think, that... You just, I, I, you know, for the greater good, for them, for what they need, for their development and for what they want to be getting out of this, I'll probably offer half as many notes. Yeah. And that's fine because actually, again, the end product's going to be just as good. And also, I think it also depends on where the process is. If, if it's the first edit of something, I'll probably be more brutal than if we're at the very final throws or versions of something that's going to go to where the next day. I think that also informs my decisions of how detailed I want to be if I'm listening to a pilot for a podcast that we want to be running in six months time that's the moment for me as an exec or for a head of content where I probably can be really brutal because you're not damaging many egos at that point because it's open the the floor is open everyone that's that's a bit of a free-for-all to go no we want this to be the best it can be and this is the very beginning of that journey so let's let's go for it let's rip it apart and see what see where the good bits are here 
I think if you're further down the line and actually something might have been on air for six months or it's a it's a package that needs to go out or whatever that might be, I think that's when I'm a little bit more discerning with the type of feedback I'll offer because actually sometimes it's probably more damaging to overdo that at that stage than it would be to offer every morsel of feedback that's probably in your head. I'll make sure I send you this edit of the podcast for notes before I <laughs> <laughs> publish it. Just to check what you've got to say, check out those comments. Dave, lovely to speak to you. Thanks so much for your five lessons you've learned from audio and radio. In terms of audio always, what should we be keeping our eyes on over the next couple of weeks and months that you've got coming or that's live at the moment that deserves some attention? Oh, uh, there's, I mean, there's some good stuff, Jim. There's some good stuff. Uh, Help I Sex to My Boss continues to go from strength to strength. It's probably our biggest kind of flagship podcast, which we love with Jordan North and William Hansen. We're doing a really fun, deep dive analytical podcast for Man City at the moment called Let Me Talk, which yeah. is fantastic with Sam Lee and Dave Mooney. Ellis and John is the one that I'm probably kind of closest to as a, as a week by week thing. And that is always fun to do on a Friday afternoon on Five Live. And radio in general is still a part that we, it's still something that we take very seriously at Audio Always and it's something that we still really enjoy doing. So everything from our Radio 1 stuff with Life Hacks and Future Pop and Future Soul to Radio 2 with OJ Borge to Six Music. We do Craig on an afternoon and Chris Hawkins in the early breakfast. And I'm now going to have to name them all, aren't I? Because I've gone too far <laughs> in. This is problem upset. now. We do some good stuff. But I think what's, what's exciting at the minute for audio always is that balance, which is starting to shift a little bit more now as well around that, uh, that original podcast making that we're doing right alongside the documentary made and then the BBC stuff that we we all always love doing as well and that's what and that is why and that's what's so different from going from a commercial radio station over to an independent production company is that broad scope of what you can be working on and that's what that's what excites me the most at the minute I'll put a link to the audio always website in the podcast description so people can go and check out the work if they want to see exactly what you guys do but thank you so much for your time on voiceworks sound business cheers Jim Thanks for listening to today's VoiceWorks Sound Business with Dave Masterman. If you enjoyed this five things I learned from audio, there's a couple more you can check out in this series. Steph Guerrero from Socially Distanced Sports Bar, Pete Donaldson from the Stack Network, and former CEO of the Radio Academy and creator of the Arias, Roger Cutsforth. So go and check that out, along with all the other episodes, looking at the latest news and developments from the world of radio and audio. If you've not subscribed to this podcast yet, make sure you do that. And if you want help with your audio strategy, then you can contact the VoiceWorks team via the website at voiceworks.ai.